0: Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith.
1: Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Come on in.
2: Yeah, you. You're finally awake.
1: We've been waiting for you. How have you been?
2: (laughs) I don't know what's happening.
1: Oh, I figured we would uh, begin this show like one of the uh, TV shows or documentary uh, where things are totally uh, not scripted. And, you know, uh, they're just super organic. And it's like someone just showed up at at our door and yeah and now we're gonna show them all the cool stuff that's going on all the
2: cool stuff
1: that's right and so what nothing... cool
2: what cool stuff do we have to show our friends and neighbors this afternoon
1: well there's not nothing... doing
2: this in the afternoon probably for the first time ever
1: well there's nothing cooler than liberalism in the year of 2023
2: uh, you know that is sadly a very true statement that's right. Li- liberalism is so hot right now.
1: <laughs> well, yes. Since we're talking about liberalism and and, uh, and our listeners are listening to this podcast that they likely, uh, though not certainly, uh, clicked intentionally to listen to, they must know that this is once for all delivered and that I am uh, your co-host, Caleb Castro.
2: And I am co-host Andrew Smith. We're doing a (laughs) bit of a Friday matinee show. We were going to do this last night and then events occurred such that we could not. So we are now doing it here today. So sorry if you were really looking forward to seeing this last night. We can see our live stats so we know that most of you probably were not. But if you were,
1: apologies, but it's good to have you with us here today. That's right. And boy, do we have special treats for you in our discussing and discoursing about liberalism. Yeah.
2: So the title of today's show is They Tried That in a Small Town. Now, this is if you follow current developments in popular culture you will know that oh, it's been a month or two ago now I believe it was jason aldean popular country singer released a song called try that in a small town and basically it was uh talking about how the general lawlessness and Uh, even like in the video had particular things like the BLM riots and things of the sort, you know, the fruits of liberalism, which is what we're here to talk about today. And basically the idea of the song was try that it, well, these are some of the words, try that in a small town, see how far you make it down the road. Basically that if you try this kind of stuff in small town America, rural America, deep red America, you wouldn't get away with it because... We're different kinds of people out here, and we live different kind of lives, and we protect each other, and we are protected from that kind of garbage. And um, it was sort of this, for a moment, cultural phenomenon. It topped all the charts and was the, a big deal, but uh, we got some bad news, folks. They tried that in a small town. Um meaning looking at liberalism and its fruits and its ideologies. And we're not just talking about liberal in a political sense. We're not a political podcast per se. What we're doing intersects with politics in many ways, but we are a theological podcast, a biblical podcast, and we're interested in applying uh, the Bible and theology to all of life. But we see godless ideologies, and yes... Dear friends, we see them in small towns, we see them in Red America. And so what we want to do today is look at many of the ways and examples that we have seen that and maybe talk about, you know, what, if anything, can be done about it.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> I think I think part of uh, the big issue there uh, and demonstrated by uh, the song is uh, you know, generally, there's there's not awareness of to the extent that uh, that everywhere in our country is uh, is affected. Perhaps you hear, uh, you know, you hear stories on the news, um, and oftentimes they're associated with yes, big cities, but uh, or or simply just in blue states uh, and in democratic states that we call here in America. Um, but yeah, the truth is that. Uh, this affects everywhere, um, and we all need to be vigilant. We need to be uh, aware uh, and up to date, frequently, on on exactly what sort of things to look out for. But to be attentive to the things that are occurring in our own towns, no matter whether the state is, is largely uh, or votes Republican, or uh, whether you're in a small town. Right. Let's see. What do we got here? Where are we starting, Andrew?
2: Well, so basically, today's show, it's going to be probably a lot of bad news. Uh, We're going to talk about a lot of problems and probably not offer a lot in the way of solutions. But this is just more, I think, for information and instruction so that we can know as God's people, how do we live in this world and uh, what sort of things do we need to be paying attention to and looking out for? So I want to begin with this idea of the big sort now the big sort is a phenomenon that has occurred over the last i mean it really accelerated during the covid pandemic about 2020 onward where we have seen major and even unprecedented shifts of population in the country and we have seen shifts away from deep blue states and urban areas Towards rural um, rural areas and deep red states and so I have here if you're watching on the video and if not just take our word for it or check the video later uh, some data from the US Census Bureau to uh, document this change and there are several lists here um, talking about the fastest growing and fasting shrinking fastest shrinking cities They looked at data from 2018 to 2019, and they compared that to data from 2020 to 2021. Um, And it does provide some rather fascinating information. Um, I think what's really probably the most illustrative is the maps. If you look at the map of the United States, you see it's color-coded so the colors that you see that are more blue those represent growth and the ones that are more orange represent decline and if you look at the areas where the population is declining um, it's a lot of coastal areas it's a lot of west coast and northeastern areas there are some exceptions but you see for instance California big orange Oregon big orange Illinois Uh, home of Chicago, big orange, in fact, brown, beyond orange, New York, brown, uh, heavy population losses. And then you see the darkest blue in places like Idaho, uh, Montana, my personal favorite, South Dakota, uh, Florida, Texas, South Carolina, places like that. Now, if you're Familiar with the state of the nation, the state of politics and stuff. Those places that are generally orange also tend to vote generally blue, as they tend to be democratic. They tend to be the places of liberal policies, in particular to the COVID pandemic that seemed to accelerate a lot of this. Those are the places that went the hardest for lockdowns, for mandates, for closing schools, things of that sort. And then the places that are experiencing this growth Seem to be more conservative places and the places where the COVID policies didn't quite hit as hard. Now, that's not to say this is entirely about COVID. What COVID did, I think, for a lot of people, for instance, when kids had to be at home instead of going to public schools, what this meant is that kids were going to school at home and kids were going to school online while their parents might've been there to sit and see and hear and watch. And they start to see and hear the things that their kids were being taught and they tended to be a little bit surprised at what they were hearing what they were seeing some of the ideology some of the perspectives that were being taught in the public schools and this uh, among other things has prompted a this big sort which is essentially the idea that people want to live in places that align with their ideology that align with their values so you're seeing conservatives in blue states depart those blue states for red states um and then even vice versa, you start to see that going the other way, as we'll see some other examples of that later on. And some of the frustration of blue uh, persons in red states wanting to go the other way. So that is essentially this idea of the big sort. But it's not uh, it's not that simple. Nothing ever is that simple. For one thing, we see these major shifts in population uh, from the more urban and blue areas to rural and red areas not everyone's moving for values not everyone is moving to a place because they care about the sorry my chair is falling down uh about the politics and the ideology and the even you know christian presence and stuff a lot of people are moving for more pragmatic reasons they want cheaper housing lower taxes better job markets So they might make a move to a rural red area, but they bring their same sets of values with them. Or even people that think that they align with the place because of the shared values on the national stage. You know, conservative values and such. Conservative values can look different in different places and lead to different applications in different places. So um, it's not entirely uh, that clean of a transition when you say, might be someone who's a Christian and a conservative in a place like New York or California, and then you move out to Iowa and uh, start your new life. Um, But also, uh, and this is more, I think, where we want to focus today, um, a lot of these rural communities are not as safe and not as walled off from these evil ideologies of our present evil age as we would like to think. In a lot of ways, uh, the radical left and the forces that hate and oppose Christianity, they have agents, if you will, and agencies, and they have tentacles that reach into these rural and red areas to still promote their ideology and to still um, cause their corruption
1: yeah and there's uh, i think also additional factors too in the way of uh just because a um say just because the parents that that will move out of a place might be conservative that doesn't uh guarantee that their children were are conservative as well or hold to uh the same sort of ideologies or that they weren't already holding to uh a or leaning to or soon would come into a liberal position through the exposure of the internet um you know so it's it's uh and that's the thing if there, there's a uh you know there there's a need to be uh, also an awareness uh, of what children themselves are thinking and holding to and by children i i mean particularly adolescents uh teenagers and such um who within a few years might you know go off to college uh may not either have a, a preparation to deal with the sort of uh ideas that they might be exposed to in uh in a university, even in a conservative state, that is already teaching uh, problematic things, uh, liberal ideologies, um, or otherwise, uh, a child finds sympathy in 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 uh, for liberal positions they themselves were already harboring. Uh, so, it,
2: it's it's yeah. true often that in any such case like this, the parents just don't find out until it's too late. Right. By by the time they learn that their children are being exposed to the ideas, damage is already done.
1: Yeah, and it's and, and you know and it, it, this is really in the unlikeliest of places. Um, now, Andrew had mentioned uh, that there are basically radical left agents um, that uh, are be- embedded in many of these rural communities and areas, uh, and I, and I'm, I would like to speak also more broadly in the way of you know of uh, of just deep red states in general or at least what are perceived to be deep red states Um, they are in places that we are not really you know we don't really always have our eyes on so we'd like to look at a couple of these examples here now Um, beginning uh, first with uh, libraries. Public libraries, you know, a great uh, a great resource uh, in general. You know, uh, having access to books and uh, in, in, in education, oftentimes there's good community programs and and the like. But um, there there's a growing trend to see or to to find that libraries are um, an enormous supporter of the uh, woke ideologies. Um, remember that librarians uh, who are Especially uh, the the directors of libraries, the ones who oversee things, uh, often have to have a, uh, a a master's degree or higher uh, in uh, what they would call library science. Right? Um, they have to have advanced degrees. Okay, so they have to they have to get a uh, they have to get something where where they can uh, help oversee what sort of materials they're going to be bringing in and all this kind of stuff uh, and how to run a library. But uh, because Libraries have kind of taken on an air of a, uh, a central public uh, source, a central public community, um, uh, community rallying point. Uh, you could even call it in some ways. It's something of the modern cathedral, right? Uh, initially, a cathedral was the center of a region. And if you wanted uh, your children to learn and or, or, or be tutored or get involved in certain things in the community, you would rally to the center of that community, the cathedral. All right? So so the, the library has kind of taken on its place as that. Well, what sort of programs are our libraries offering now for the community? Well, there are, of course, the notorious uh, Drag Queen Story Hours. Now, I'm sure that uh, many of us have have. Uh, have heard uh, about these uh drag queen story hours and it's exactly as it sounds um these drag queen story hours though are they they're not just they don't just sporadically you know pop out of thin air there is an actual uh, organization that's of course based in San Francisco that um that uh helps organize these events they have various chapters uh, throughout uh, not only in the United States, but uh, throughout the Western Hemisphere. Um, and so there's a great quote of saying, uh, of explaining what the Drag Queen Story Hour actually is. So this is from the website of the organization, dragstream, uh, drag, dragstream dragstoryhour.org. Okay, um, in particular, this, uh, if you're watching the video, you'll see it exactly there in the center, uh, the second line. So DSH, Drag uh, Drag Story Hour, captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of childhood and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models. In spaces like these, but like this, kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions and imagine a world where everyone can be their authentic selves. So it's uh, portrayed as a very nice, happy, wholesome uh innocent fun um uh, you know f- we're going to see this trend recur what's what's striking though is as i mentioned this this isn't just something that pops out of thin air you have to have chapter houses that are organized so they're they're local people uh, drag queens or whatever who are interested in starting this up and they're not just in towns like san francisco they're not just in towns like um you know seattle portland whatever Okay, you'll, you'll find chapter houses in uh, North Carolina for example uh, in, in Raleigh North Carolina as well as North Dakota in Fargo there's uh, there's of course Salt Lake City Utah there's Nashville Tennessee and even in Nebraska like yes you're hearing that right in Lincoln Nebraska the heart of the Midwest if you will the center of of of, of North America so th- these I mean, Nebraska is not even a, not even a very big city, right? You'll uh, pardon me. uh, Lincoln is not even a very big city, you know? It it uh... is
2: a, it is a (laughs) university city, which university cities always tend to be a pocket for these things. They're a cathedral of their own, you know, the cathedral Mm -hmm. being the university system. And this is part of how they get the librarians is if you have an advanced degree, you've spent, you know, probably six, seven years of your life minimum, in a university setting, and the universities have almost entirely been captured uh, by liberal and woke ideologies. So that's a cathedral that feeds another cathedral. Um, insofar so far as it's where everybody comes and is instilled with these values and then sent out into the world to promulgate them. But yeah, Lincoln, Nebraska, it's a yeah. university town, but it's Nebraska. its And this is something, too, like you go to a red state and you think, oh, everything's fine now, but you're still going to find... Um, whether it be in your local libraries or your university and government towns, you're just going to see these pockets of, of liberal ideology and active attempts yeah. to spread and promote them.
1: And there's a, you know, let's, let's point at a couple more of those towns. Um, but, uh, again, Andrew has this list up here. Um, so I mean Boulder, Colorado. I believe, that, I believe that's another uh, university town. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. fairly uh, quite. I should really say left leaning in the first kind place, of notorious. Though, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much one of the the primary pockets of of Colorado liberalism next to Denver. But Louisville, Kentucky, right? That that's in some manners a, a pretty unexpected one. But Kentucky, uh, I don't. I Can't recall if I put more instances up throughout this uh, throughout the things we'll be talking about today, but Louisville, Kentucky was a was a place where I saw quite a number of of liberal things occurring. Uh, El Paso, Texas, that perhaps is a, in in ways uh, a pretty surprising one. Um, but then you also have uh, places in uh, including in, in in Mexico, right? In Tokyo, um, you know, out in in, uh, in Sweden. Right, it's uh there. There's just this. This is a, a a growing uh. This is a growing organization that is not limiting itself to North America, yet where it is in North America, it it it's not taking a preference over red or blue. And let's so just there, there's okay. an evangelism spirit here,
2: and and also too, it must be pointed out that these are just the only places where they have actually formally incorporated a chapter. Right a Drag Queen Story Hour. We know that this has happened in more places. For instance, there was an incident about a month or two ago in Wisconsin, in a small town in Wisconsin, where a young uh, youth pastor, youth intern was mm-hmm. arrested in a small town in Wisconsin, which you'll notice is not on the list here. Uh, but they were having a Drag Story Hour, and they arrested this guy for essentially being outside and protesting and preaching the gospel mm-hmm. at this Drag Story Hour event. So we know it just because you don't see your area on this list doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's not there. Yeah, this is this just is those who've taken the extra step to incorporate and be on the list.
1: Yeah, and speaking of uh, additional things in libraries now, there, there there's not just uh, community programs for the kids... There's also community programs for the homeless. Um, in particular, we have uh, an instance in in Blount Library, uh, Blount County Library System in Tennessee, where basically um, Tennessee libraries were being utilized as uh, homeless shelters. So these there's um, there was a desire basically for the the library system to partner up with. Uh, uh, to, to, to start an initiative called a place to stay, um, where basically they might uh, utilize uh, uh, spaces provided by the libraries for extended various periods of time for those who um, who are homeless. And initially, it was actually a program that uh, was entirely uh, rent-free, nonprofit. Though now they are starting to charge uh, a, uh, uh, a a rental rate. Yes. Yeah. So.
2: What do you so say about it?
1: Well, uh, you know what? It's it's a uh, it's just a little bit of a um, it's it's a little bit of a strange I don't know conflation of of areas. You know, it's I you can very much understand the desire to want to uh, help out the homeless, but for utilizing uh, public spaces where people go to. To, to, to check out books to study these kind of things. It's just you, you, you're kind of left thinking, like, "Well, is this the best? It, first of all, is this the best place to do this?" Um, you know, a, a lot of homeless people these days are are not just simply like you know the lovable uh, uh, the lovable vagabond, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, train hopper of the 1920s or 30s uh, depiction. You know, it's not it's not Cha- uh, Charlie Chaplin the uh, the the tramp. You know, uh, there, there's quite a lot of homeless people who have serious medical issues, serious mental and drug matters as well. And frankly, yeah. even uh, might seem, I don't know, you could might seem dem- like some kind of demonic influence. I don't know. There's uh, It's not quite clear cut uh, as, as just letting someone in. And even if this is the case, are libraries the ones that should be overseeing a welfare program? Yeah. Where's the money coming for this
2: and also, I mean, this already on top of the fact that especially if you go into any larger town or a city that has a significant homeless population, places like libraries are already prone to attracting the homeless because it's a place where people are allowed to be that doesn't cost anything. Uh, they can spend all day there. It has bathrooms. I know, uh, don't need to say where, but there was a town I lived in and it was a, it was a, uh, not a huge city, but a mid-sized city probably. They had a public library where uh, they have problems with the homeless coming in and bathing in the bathrooms. And this is the place that they like to come and loiter because, you know, they can stay there for free. They can use a computer if they need to use a computer, but then sometimes that means using a computer for reasons why public computers ought not be used um things Mm -hmm. of that sort. And it's just this is a and so but then so rather than hmm this is a problem, a safety issue, um enabling bad behavior, it seems, yeah, in some places, like here in this case in Tennessee, uh, not only are we not going to do anything about this, we're going to actually actively encourage this sort of thing.
1: And uh I'll I'll add a brief note of uh, an extension that not necessarily in every single small town you might find, but there's also, uh, you know, there's also the rise of, uh, in something of a related matter, uh, methadone clinics that are being opened up in in many towns, um, you know, where people can get uh, supervised uh, drug use to help them get off heroin or various opioids. Um, and it seems there's, there's a trend where more often than not, uh, the placement of these uh, methadone clinics are... Um, uh, not perhaps very uh, thought out or conscientious. Uh, some being planted near uh, daycares or through uh, or next to uh, other schools or areas where you have families and kids walking around. Um, you're you're having uh, again addicts come around <laughs> and hanging out in front of these buildings. Yeah. Well, well, uh, that's it for the for the realm of libraries right now uh perhaps another really um forefront uh arena uh is in uh education so public schooling yes. now, yeah yeah <laughs>
2: so the public schools um you know I realize that when we start talking about issues of schooling a lot of people uh get strong feelings one way or the other but It at least has been shown increasingly over the last few years. You can think of it through, like, social media accounts like libs of TikTok. Uh, Most of the people who end up on libs of TikTok, some are librarians. We do see some of that. But a lot of them, most of them are public school teachers who uh, go... I mean, it's not always in the places you'd expect. All over the country, they're finding these teachers who are... Because they've, as with the librarians, gone through the university system and been indoctrinated with a certain set of ideals, they become these ideologues for radical left positions, for all of the uh, LGBTQIA++ whatever agenda, for Black Lives Matter, um, for all these various uh, liberal and godless and woke ideologies. And many view it as their place to promote these ideologies with their students, and some view it as their place to even go into Uh, Small town, rural schools, you know, they, as Caleb mentioned earlier with the libraries, even there's almost an evangelistic spirit to it. We need to go off into these places and essentially convert and colonize them for our cause uh, and transform them from what they are.
1: Right. Yeah, it's it's a saving from the ignorance and, and, you know, backwoods uh, antiquated um, traditional mentalities. You know that that the older generations have um there's uh so first of all there's um in fargo which we'd already mentioned with the drag queen story hours uh there's fargo public schools so uh we have here um again if you're watching the video you'll be able to see this but uh we have here a page that's showing from a news report uh the header fargo public schools superintendent speaks out on recent lgbtq related legislation so a a state law had been uh had been passed um that basically requires schools to tell parents if their child is identifying as lgbtq plus etc okay and then the 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 article uh states though quote fargo superintendent uh dr rupiah gandhi stated his intention to disobey the law that unless directed by the board, otherwise, it is my formal request on record that we are going to do what is right for kids. And when we see a conflict between federal law and state law, we are going to double down to advocate for our youth. It's not against parents. It's for kids. So there, there's, there's, first of all, you're listening to that language. There's something of a creep factor here. All right. This this. Dr. Gandhi is calling the kid the students, our youth. And actually several times in, in the, the article that quotes him, he, he refers them to our kid, our, our children, our, and so on and so forth. Uh, first of all, as if children are public or federal property, right? That, that they are the property of the public schools. Uh, and he, he had gone on to talk about how he will not, uh, how he will not openly out kids, right openly out as in referring to them coming out of the closet uh, identifying as lgbt etc that he will not openly out kids to their parents to their parents uh, even though the kids are publicly openly identifying as something at school they will not then relay that information to the parents so it is it, it's keeping secrets it's keeping information regarding someone's own child from the parents. Why? Well, parents don't, uh, you know, parents are, are, are taking a back seat. Uh, they're not trusted to raise and teach and instill values to their children. That's supposed to be the schools. So we, we have to ask that question then. When did school officials get the right to sidestep the authority of parents and make decisions for kids? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this goes back to some things we talked about, like, for instance, when we were talking about sphere sovereignty back at the mm-hmm. the genesis of OFAD. Um, th- this would definitely be a violation of sphere sovereignty. God has entrusted the raising of children and even the education of children and the decisions about education of children to parents. And it's not the place of the government. It's not the place of these public entities to infringe upon that. Um but uh, clearly they're trying and clearly they see opportunity to do so and have capitalized on opportunities to do so. And in fact, many educators now, they and I'm not saying that that all educators are like this. I know many good, sound Christian educators in the public school system. I know they've faced many difficulties and hardships even for being faithful Christians in that system, but... Uh, These are the times in which we are living. I also think it's important to point out that uh, this essentially amounts to saying the quiet part out loud. Now, you could think back to uh, pre-Obergefell America and, you know, how there was the gay rights movement going on. And one of the things we were told over and over again, you know, people would say things like, well, they're coming for our children and they would be dismissed as conspiratorial and hateful and bigoted and they have mm-hmm. nobody's gonna come for your kids we just want to get married and live our lives and be left alone and yet now very explicitly and overtly they are coming for other people's children because they have to because these lifestyles and ideologies don't naturally reproduce they can only parasitically and uh, ideologically reproduce by capturing other people's children
1: and we've said it before you know there's no neutrality here Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is uh, entirely just. Uh, there, there, there's an antithetical spirit in the world from the beginning of uh, from the fall, right? There's an enmity between the, the children of the serpent and the children of the seed of the woman. That it is either you are of the kingdom of light or of the kingdom of darkness. There is no t- neutral territory in this. Even though we are in the world and uh, we are not of it. This also means our our values, our our worldviews, our thoughts, and our conduct is not to match that of the world. Um, just a brief uh, note here before we continue on. Um, yeah, I, 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 um, just an anecdotal instance. You know, I have, there's a friend of mine that uh, is is going through uh, uh, finishing up his wanting to finish up his his degree, um, and he's uh, just going back to school now at a uh, you know at a so-called Christian. Uh, university. And, uh, you know, so he's, he's taking uh, upper division uh, education classes now. And in one of his uh, classes, which was basically just an introduction to education <laughs> techniques and such, uh, I mean, he, he had said from the get go that you know the 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 bulk of the class uh, the material had nothing to actually do with education, so much as talking about uh, you know BLM and CRT uh, and, and and critical theory and and so on. Um, at the end of the class, uh, the last day, the, the the professor asked the question of you know, well, would you, uh, you know, would you teach? Um, uh, sexual topics and and transgenderism uh, to kindergartners, and before the entire class was basically, uh, so my friend excluded was, um, you know, was was of one mind uh, on the various uh, woke platforms. When this matter came about, uh, he said he said surprisingly, all of the girls in the class said that they would teach kindergartners sexual topics and transgenderism. While all the males in the class said that they wouldn't, uh, so for what it's worth, that's a, a very fascinating thing. Um, and those males were actually, uh, we were, were basically all you know uh, straight guys. Uh, for what it's worth, it's uh, you know this, like I said, this, or like like we said before, you know, this is uh, this is in the Christian school systems too. Uh, we've said these kind of things on previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, into a, another fun sphere here. Onwards to government jobs and social services. Yep. So, yeah, um, I'll just go through a couple, a uh, little statements here, and then we'll, we'll move into a uh, into another screen, uh, another screen grab here. Um, so there, there, there's something in in that we have to understand with, uh, with county, uh, with the county's, um, you know, local government authorities in combination with school boards themselves. So there's a crossover here, right? Uh, the, the, The county and school boards are kind of at a point where they have to work with the policies that the federal governments are telling them to adhere to in order to receive federal funds. So if if you want to receive the benefits of help from the government, then you need to do as the government says, and so you have money with strings attached. Pardon me. And the um, so oftentimes this is where the the woke ideologies enter in with people who uh, may at first not even necessarily embrace the woke ideologies, such as in a small town. So this is this is akin to bribery, yeah. right? On top this Let's
2: actually this is actually something very similar to uh last year um i did the piece on our site about uh the fu- the covid funding for seminaries mm-hmm. um and in that I, if you're interested to look a little deeper into this in that i talked a little bit about the federal funding process as it pertains to discretionary grants and it's very similar across the board if you want to take federal funds for any purpose you have to Agree to comply with all these federal rules and regulations. It's the it's referred to often in government speak as the power of the purse. The government can't actually pass laws and make legislation about these things, um, either for political reasons they can't actually muster the votes to do it, or constitutional type reasons. Well, we can't actually hinder speech and such in these ways. But what we can do is, well, we're, they, the government can basically say, we're spending the money on these things. And so uh, while we may not be able to explicitly in policy dictate these things, as far as you have to do them, we can make it a condition of taking our money. And the problem with the public school system and the way it's set up and the way that taxes are collected and dispersed um Almost universally, the, the schools take federal funds, and they have to take federal funds, and they wouldn't be able to operate if they didn't. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, the federal government has monopolized education through the Department of Education and its block grant programs, and you and the left has captured that and used it to be a promoter of its
1: ideologies. Yeah. So if you're if you're hearing that, you know, then. Uh, so look at this combination between school boards and the county.
2: Local control yeah. is basically an illusion at this point in many ways.
1: Yeah, so you're you're seeing how this how this might easily occur then in a small town. Um, you know, we're not talking the big cities alone here. In fact, many small towns, when you, when you think about it, uh, many small town elections, whether it's a school board superintendents or a mayor, uh, a, a treasurer or whatever, a lot of small town elections in rural America are not often uh, contested. Like in other words, there's there's usually only a single candidate running Uh, And therefore, it really requires little votes to win. Uh, Otherwise, I mean, unless it's you have someone that's, you know, been in the same position for for years and years and years, and then someone fresh and new comes up, maybe they sound exciting, interesting, whatever. And someone just you just vote for for that person, you know, because they're new. So it's it's really easy to gain control in a small town. But even in, in, in this kind of tactic, you, you could take it larger. Um, you know, it, someone that starts off as a mayor then might start getting experience or uh, to move up and up uh, or even start going for positions that aren't, um, you know, that, that, that aren't, say, uh, like, you know, in the forefront of people's mind, like a senator or, or the president or whatever. In, in particular, uh, the House of, Reps is, uh, of Representatives is starting to get this way. So uh, for instance, now Montana, the Montana uh, in the House of Representatives recently had a, I believe it was a Missoula um, individual um, who, uh, who was elected into the Democratic seat. Uh, and this individual was uh, a, a trans, um, I don't even know how you say it, a trans woman. It's a guy uh, named, uh, who named himself Zoe Zephyr. Mm-hmm. Um and uh did, did we have a link for this one i can't remember or a uh, page for oh this yeah one. Oh, okay sorry Just my, check my
2: apologies
1: no not at all this is uh C-
2: computer guy is slow <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah this this is an interesting one uh so this, this one has the uh the 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 header montana legislature shut down by trans activists um that should already be a little bit of a uh i don't know uh hard to process when you kind of when you think Montana, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Montana's still the
2: kind probably. of place where a lot of these people who are fleeing blue states are going. They're going to Montana and Idaho and the Dakotas and such and uh now now it should be pointed out Zoe Zephyr is from Missoula. Missoula is a university town again. Mm-hmm. Um but still, you know, you see it having a statewide impact in Montana and that it's essentially causing the a severe hindrance and shutdown of the legislature while this zoe zephyr character has his to national prominence um gonna, getting all kinds wager. of press and
1: tv coverage and stuff as a result i'm gonna wager i guess that's not his birth name
2: yeah <laughs> and, and actually so. uh he is married to another Uh, male to female transgender individual also an activist um and so they've kind of become this rising power couple in this movement (sighs) it's all very bizarre and gross and weird so and that's uh, how we got banned from youtube
1: (laughs) this is our, our our the origin of our villain story or uh our anti-hero story really. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, Zoe Zephyr. Um <clears throat> basically what was going on, um the Republicans uh, in the house were uh in the process of banning trans procedures uh being done on minors. And uh Zoe Zephyr then gets up and, and starts mocking that uh you know Republic the Republicans had uh paused in, in during this deliberation of uh, on, on trans procedures uh, for minors. Uh, they pause in this deliberation to pray. So Zephyr gets up and starts mocking that they're praying, and uh, he states, the only thing I will say yes, is, uh, so uh, that grammar's a little strange, but the only thing I will say is, if you vote yes on this bill, and yes, on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, referring to prayer, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. So, in a manner, in a manner, he's indirectly blaspheming the Lord as well as mocking their prayer. So the house then silenced him from speaking on the floor. And then they had to silence him again when he uh, tried to interrupt a discussion um, on banning schools using pronouns that were different than a child's sex. So when a child started, uh, uh, a biological guy, a uh, boy uh, starts identifying themselves as a, as, a, as a she or something, then uh, the Montana was make, looking to make a law that says, OK, you can't then let the kid do that. You have to refer to them by their biological sex. So he tried to ignore the silence order, the censorship, and started trying to speak up again. So they doubled down on the silencing, and then protesters, uh, trans movement activists, showed up to the Capitol uh, in the, the House of uh, to, to the chambers. Um, Basically shouting for Zephyr's privilege to speak to be reinstated, so you're having the disruption of a uh, of a state uh, of, of 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 state bureaucracy occurring. And again, these are the sort of things that don't tend to get much airtime on mainstream media. Uh, it doesn't fit with the general narrative, but it's this this protest culture. It wants yeah. to disrupt.
2: Yeah, like this article we're looking at here is from The the Federalist, which is a, um, you know, decisively conservative publication. And so they'll cover things like this, but the mainstream media either ignores these stories. I can think of similar events in Tennessee that happened uh, earlier this year. Um, they either cover, they either don't cover them or they present them in such a way that the legislatures are doing these great injustice to trans youth by trying to pass these laws. And the uh, activists, the protesters, the uh, rioters, essentially, that are storming Capitol buildings and disrupting the flow of government. And that kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Um, that they're essentially the good guys. They're the, They're the ones that have the right of it.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, they're and this
2: includes on. the media in these rural areas because although these rural areas tend to be very conservative, because journalism is yet another example of a of an industry that has been captured by the left, even in your small town newspapers and radio stations and TV stations, often the people that are reporting the news for them uh, still do so with uh, liberal bias.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, at uh this wasn't exactly a small town, but uh so, I mean, when, when I lived in um when I lived in Illinois, uh pretty much on the state line of uh Indiana, um yeah, there, I, I I was uh, initially subscribing to the local newspaper uh from the town right next to us. Uh so you know it was all relevant uh, population of that town was uh twenty three thousand. Um so not again, not a very Large town, per exactly, um, but it's still a small area, and I mean, I just I, I lasted about uh two months when I started seeing, especially with the start of COVID, uh, you know, started seeing how I don't know just just how liberally bent it was. So, immediate stop on my subscription, you know, it's again these kind of things, and this is again Indiana, not exactly Illinois, <laughs> right? but so we also have, though, aside from, uh, from the media and these portrayals, um, we have the area of business. And this one we'll just do really quick here. I uh, thought these were, were interesting ones to throw in. So there was uh, – so Dallas, pretty big city. Um, not, exactly, uh, not exactly blue, uh, not exactly Democratic, fairly mixed. But there was the Mr. Miss. Mr. Gaybar in Dallas, uh, that's spelled M-R and then M-I-S-S-T-E-R, Mr. Mr. Gaybar in Dallas, that, that wanted to, you know, again, do a good thing for the for the community. And so they, they hosted the Drag a Kid to Brunch, if you pick up on that uh, pun in there. Drag a Kid to Brunch, uh, which was billed as a family-friendly event where... Uh, basically, kids were forced to hold hands with drag queens uh, as they walked down runways and such. A uh, second one, though, in Plano, Texas, a similar thing here, where the the ebb and flow eatery uh, wanted to host an all-ages drag brunch. Okay, So this is at a, at a little restaurant diner thing. Well, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do any quotes here. We're not going to show any videos or anything. It's, it, the events were frankly very, very vulgar and crass. Uh, there was a drag queen that was filmed speaking in extremely sexually explicit vulgarities. Uh, they were dancing in a lewd way uh, and having contact with observers. Again, in a very lewd manner, all in the presence of children, not just teenagers or anything like that, but like kids. OK, so it, and oftentimes, the dra- you know, the, these drag circles will say that they're well, well, let's let's go back and read real fast. Uh, what was that from the <laughs> Drag Story Hour, which they said that they capture the imagination play off of the gender fluidity of children and give them a, kids a glamorous, positive and unabashedly queer role models in spaces like these kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions and imagine a world where everyone can be their authentic selves. And apparently that includes uh, spouting off, you know, uh, incredibly sexually vulgar and crass phrases. (laughs) Yeah. Guess it does. Well, onwards and forwards. (sighs) We have uh, now probably uh, another familiar topic. This one shouldn't uh, surprise us, as, as we've already kind of spoken somewhat on this at the big, earlier on at this episode. There's pretty much any college or university today. <laughs> uh, just fast example: University of Texas Austin, which Austin is should be known and, and marked as a notoriously liberal city. I remember back in uh, when when I lived in Portland, Oregon, and The uh, you know that bastion of conservatism in the mid uh, 2010s, where uh, a lot of people were starting to leave uh, Portland and in Seattle uh, because of the rising cost. And where were they moving? Austin, the number one destination. So Austin by now has has uh, in their university system has mandated required faculty to adhere to DEI, uh, that's a uh, diversity, equity, and uh, inclus- uh, inclusivity practices required of faculty for them to receive tenure and be considered for promotion. Likewise, in the, uh, the University of Utah system, uh, they, they've made statements saying that they're aiming for DEI adherence among 100% of their Positions by the year of 2025. In other words, by 2025, in just a couple of years here, they want to have rooted out anyone that does not actively adhere to DEI. Uh, and once more, in Florida, in this this the state known for its its anti wokeism and anti woke initiatives. Well, the Florida University System has been spending uh, some 15 million. Dollars worth of taxpayer money on university initiatives for things like dei so the grass is not always greener in some measures
2: yeah and you hear these and you think well okay ut austin that's i know it's texas but it's weird then u of utah that's in salt lake city so big city uh and then florida is is rather populous um, but there's other examples too. For instance, at South Dakota State University in Brookings, just last year, they, uh, one of the campus clubs, put on a, a family-friendly drag event. Um, and Brookings, I mean South Dakota, is South Dakota, and Brookings itself is a town of, I believe, only about fifteen 000 to twenty thousand people. Um,
1: well, and in and, just a moment here, we're going. This is actually going to lead us to our our big topic as well.
2: Yeah. We're gonna look at uh, also some particular developments in the state of Wyoming, the least populated state in the nation, and my home state, and we'll see uh, some pretty disturbing developments on the university front there as well. So, yeah,
1: but real fast before we get there, uh, just by way of transition here. Um, so, I mean, you're seeing this. Uh, we're 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 painting this in in uh, even if in a. In a somewhat dragged out manner on individual particular circumstances where we're painting a broad brush of these are just a few examples all right and and yeah. and even if someone goes to these big universities in these red states where do they go afterwards when they receive their degrees mm-hmm. they don't always stay in those big universities they get jobs as andrew has been saying in these small towns yeah well Aside from this, now uh, when when liberals had been relocating to red states over the past several years, uh, in a lot of measures, uh, they were generally living in a fairly peaceable, uh, amiable relationship with the conservatives in the area. Right, they they could generally manage even if the, they differed on stances. But the the repeal of of Roe versus Wade last year caused a lot of these liberals to make a decision, okay? Um, they've relocated, uh, and now what? Do they stay? Do they go? Uh, we have uh, a, there's a uh, quote from uh, from one particular individual. Um, Andrew has pulled up an article here. Basically, uh, liberal residents started getting fearful of what uh, the Uh, banning on federally funded, uh, uh, federally approved uh, uh, abortion um, restrictions being lifted would mean. So one individual said, I am a mother of three children. I think it's really unfortunate that my children will enter their teen years and not have access to abortion, Brooks said. I'm really focused on getting the next generation to have bodily autonomy and understand— their own anatomy. And that is why I'm not going to leave now. She said, I'm going to stay and fight. And so those who, so so you have to see here then what we started with was saying, there are radical liberal agents intentionally looking to fight and make changes, right? It, It is an active attempt to change small towns. So overall, states that are uh, red in monoculture tend to have actual conservative uh, you know, Grandel Party uh, uh, influence, but there is also a very liberal or libertarian wing of the Grandel Party. It, it's not just all cut and dry. There is, as we've been saying here, a social pressure to adopt and to adapt to the woke ideology, or else what? Well, you don't get money. or otherwise, you face being branded a bigot and being pushed out of the societal community participation. You're ostracized by your peers. And Americans don't like being ostracized very much. Mm-hmm. We're, we're We're fairly communal uh, in general. But
2: another don't want
1: person to say something bad against us.
2: Yeah. And then another thing you deal with in these red and rural areas is that, you know, there's a particular interest in fiscal responsibility and keeping taxes low, um, you know, obtaining funding for things from other sources. And so there's the difficulty of what we mentioned before. If you want federal funds or other kinds of outside funds for your programs and projects and initiatives, okay, but that comes with a price. And that price is that you have to agree to some terms that if they were known, um, probably would not be supported by the populations of these areas but they go along to get along and they go along to get the money.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Well now speaking of money now how about uh how about that Wyoming? How's yeah. that stuff doing?
2: So I want to want to close today because we've been talking about a lot of cases in a lot of places um I wanted to particularly zoom in on one state, and it is my home state. It's not the state where I live currently, though it's the next state over, but because of that, it's the state where I've seen the most and and generally know the most about what has been going on. And I think it's important as a case study because it is the least populated state in the United States. It is a state of only about 600,000 total population, its largest cities, Uh, Casper and Cheyenne are each only about 60,000. So basically the whole state is kind of small town-like. And yet, because, you know, I lived there pretty much my whole life until just a few years ago, um, it was plain to see a lot of these things coming into view and developing and continuing even now. And so um, just to kind of show what the form these things can take, because I would actually venture, I'm not wanting to beat up on my home state here, I would venture any place you go, any red state you go into. If you start looking and you start digging, you are going to find these things, and we've already given you several examples covering many states. So I basically want to present this to see some of the ways and some of the forms that this is taking. So um, Wyoming is probably it's one of the deepest red states, if not the deepest red state in the nation. It went for Donald Trump by over 40 points in 2020. It ousted Liz Cheney by a very wide margin in the last primary election uh, because Liz Cheney had uh, betrayed uh, some of her constituency's closest uh, values and principles and such. a high percentage of evangelical Christians and of Roman Catholics and uh, even of Latter-day Saints. It's a border state to Utah, so especially in the western side of the state, there are many, many Mormons. Super in both houses of the legislature are Republican. The last several governors uh, have been Republican. The last Democrat governor was in the early 2000s. There hasn't been another one since. Um, So you would think, if you're thinking, okay, where is a place that ideologically is going to be thoroughly and very conservative, you would think Wyoming would be it. Well, um, all has not been well. Um, Let me find the right. I guess I'm missing the article for it. Uh, But for instance, in the city of Gillette, Wyoming... Uh, Gillette, Wyoming is in a major coal production area. Actually, a majority of the nation's coal, people think coal, they think Appalachia, they think Pennsylvania, West Virginia, stuff like that. A majority of the nation's coal was actually produced in strip mining operations in Wyoming. My father-in-law, who's a friend and supporter of the show, actually works for one of the coal mines out there. Um, And... So a very ideologically conservative area because they're interested in minerals and obviously have taken a lot of heat and pressure because of the climate agenda. Uh, But in Gillette, uh, over the last couple of years, there has essentially been a revolt against the public library there because the public library in Gillette had uh, certain books that were uh, and we start to see more and more of these books. They're essentially these children's books, graphic novel books for children that are very sexually explicit and promoting LGBT and other ideologies. I believe Gender Queer uh, is a book that comes up a lot in these discussions, and that was one of them. There has also been a controversy over Gender Queer in the school libraries in Casper, Wyoming, which is a big oil production town and another place you would think would be rather conservative. Um, So we see these libraries and we see these books now in Gillette They actually ousted their head librarian and there was even an attempt to bring the librarian up on charges that failed But the librarian was at least removed but in Casper um, so far Generally the resistance has been strong enough that they have kept those books in the school libraries even over the objection of many parents Um, Speaking of Casper the city of Casper, Wyoming, has an LGBTQ advisory committee. So essentially a committee that advises the city council of Casper to try to, well, I'll just read from this article here. Casper city council is seeking candidates to fill two positions on the city's LGBTQ advisory committee. Their focus is fostering a more accepting and equitable community in Casper. The LGBTQ Advisory Board partners with organizations such as the Casper Police Department and the City Council, so wielding the power of city government, to help put systems in place to help protect and empower the queer community. Ideal candidates for this position are folks who want to serve and uplift the queer community in Casper. Again, Casper, Wyoming. Um, I used to live in Casper, Wyoming, uh, six years in total, a couple of different stints. But uh, and yes, it's, it's a city where uh, you see attempts to promote and spread these ideologies even there. Uh,
1: Real Casper, fast there, it's uh, <laughs> driving driving through there a couple times. I'd uh, I could just say you, by the look of it, would just never ever think this is the case, right? Like it's, yeah, you can't always go by appearances, but it's like, there's almost no telltale signs. And this, at least last time I drove through it was just a few years ago now. Yeah. So that's, that's that, how how big is Casper? Um, It's
2: about 60,000 people. Um, It's not, I mean, for Wyoming, it's big. It's the second largest city in Wyoming. Right. Um, And I also, I mean, I'm not saying the whole city is like this. I'd say the city still Mm -hmm. skews pretty conservative, Um, and you know, as even a lot of Christians, a lot of our brothers and sisters, uh, fighting the good fight out there in Casper. Mm -hmm. Um, but we also see that there have been some very targeted and concerted efforts in Casper to bring these ideologies in. And the thing about these, these larger cities in smaller states is they are strategically important locations because they house a lot of the state's commerce, infrastructure, Mm -hmm. business, education, colleges, things of the sort. So if you can make a difference in those towns, then you essentially create more of your missionaries you can send out into the, the countryside to do your bidding.
1: And so really, I mean, what, what you're saying is that there's really not, like it doesn't take that many people in say, you know, a population of 60,000 in a town. It doesn't actually take that many people to stir up dissent. Right. Perhaps even because it's so noticeable because it's so different.
2: To Yeah, to at least, you know, even do something like get an advisory committee to your city council that's suddenly Mm -hmm. affecting policy in real ways, in tangible ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Another interesting fact about Casper, Wyoming. Casper, Wyoming is the hometown of Matthew Shepard. Matthew Shepard in the mid-90s, that was the case that essentially brought the category of a hate crime to public attention. Matthew Mm Shepard... Uh, was from Casper, but he went to the University of Wyoming and was murdered there. And um, this essentially brought this whole idea of a hate crime into national consciousness. It inspired a lot of laws and legislation and such towards that end. Uh, the, The case itself, it's a bit more murky and complicated than the mainstream media narrative often presents. Maybe we come to that another time. I don't know. Getting into some deep waters there, but all that to say, so that that's something that came from Wyoming, um, <laughs> and so you still see how that influence is wielded and exerted there. <laughs> um, just another example. I don't. I don't think I have an article for this, um, but in Wyoming, so with the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v.ersus Wade, the state of Wyoming actually had a trigger ban in place to essentially ban abortion in the state. Um, it has been held up this entire time by a single judge in Teton County, which Teton County is where Jackson Hole is, which is the probably the most liberal part of Wyoming. It's a resort community. It's occupied by many wealthy who have mm. vacation homes and the like there. But a single judge in Teton County has essentially prevented abortion from being banned in Wyoming Hmm. uh, since the Dobbs decision. And actually the Republican governor of Wyoming, Mark Gordon, has sort of hindered efforts on the part of other state officials to try to move that case along and bring it to a resolution where that trigger ban can take place. Um Because like I like we mentioned before, with the politics of these deep red states, I mean, yeah, everybody's a Republican, you know, it's 80% or more Republican, but you have a de facto opposition, you have people that are, you know, conservative, and then you have other people that are, uh, like I said, more of a libertarian bent, or even liberal leaning bent, they are Republican, because you have to be to get elected, but they um, actually are not particularly conservative.
1: So uh, now perhaps in, in relation with that. so with with the Republican Governor Mark Gordon, so why could, could you state a little more on why you think he has refused to intervene in the case in this manner?
2: Um, I think I don't I don't know specifically. I don't know a lot about Gordon specifically. I, I worked for the state government in Wyoming. And he was the governor like the last year or two I was there. And I just think with him, he's very much a moderate. He very much doesn't mm. want to cause trouble, doesn't want to draw mm. bad headlines. Um, he's a politician. You know, very, very much live and <laughs> let live uh, ca- kind of philosophy of governance. Uh, but kind others, of what like...
1: we were saying earlier, of like not wanting to be ostracized from the community, but in these ways not wanting to lose a lot of his benefits as a... Uh... Uh, stirring up a dissent
2: right so for instance the current secretary of state of wyoming wanted to uh i believe file an amicus brief in this case on the abortion law Mm -hmm. to try to get it upheld and the governor basically used his power to hinder that from happening Mm -hmm. um so you know you can see this kind of fighting uh you know people that are on paper they're all republicans and and should be conservatives but clearly that's not all how it goes
1: Well, now, so, Andrew, you're, now, if I could, I'm going to turn this into an interview style here, transition. (laughs) We're that skilled. So, you grew up in Wyoming. You worked in Wyoming. Did you go Mm -hmm. to school in Wyoming? Yes, I did. And And where was that, Andrew?
2: So, the University (laughs) of Wyoming is in Laramie. It's in Southeast Wyoming. It's the only four-year public university in Wyoming. It's deeply entrenched in the state's culture, For instance, it's the only sports teams that the state has is the University of Wyoming team. So everybody supports them and everybody, you know, cheers for them and stuff. Um, And yeah, I actually, I started at a community college in Casper, but then I finished my education at the university in Laramie. Now, as I mentioned before, that was where Matthew Shepard was murdered. Um, And there have been some rather disturbing developments out of there recently. Now I'll just say when I was there, which has been about 14, 13, 14 years ago now, already you st- already you start to yeah, I'm dating myself quite literally. <laughs> uh, you start to you started to see things there that that showed that all was not well. I would participate in campus evangelism efforts there and we would be uh, very heavily opposed by This was when the new atheism was kind of hot, you know, Richard Dawkins and christopher mm-hmm. hitches them so the the university had a very loud and active secular club that would come out on campus and protest every time we were uh, doing evangelism on campus um it was a it was a rather fascinating thing to watch how where they even come from how they even know we're here
1: um <laughs> well but, there, was uh, a, there was a recent some events that was in the news that national news even yeah
2: yeah, so more recently, uh, there has been, and it's really centered around one student um, going by the name of Artemis Langford, a six foot two, 260 pound biological male. Uh, and this has led to two major stories and cases on the campus of the University of Wyoming. Uh, first, he joined a sorority. He joined the University of Wyoming's chapter of the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority. Um, and you probably, if you are listening to this by now, you know we're talking about some some potentially graphic things and may have shut them off. But just in case you haven't, this is definitely the point to get off uh, of the show and stop listening. Um so, this student he joined the sorority, he moved into the sorority house, and it was being reported that he was visibly and noticeably sexually aroused by watching other housemates dress. Um, again, six foot two, 260 pound biological male. Some of the other students in the sorority sued to have him removed, and they lost their lawsuit. They lost their lawsuit. A federal judge struck it down on the grounds that the organization does not define woman, a sorority organization does not define woman in its bylaws. Now, (laughs) Artemis (laughs) Lankford led to another case, and this actually involves uh, someone I know, uh, an evangelist, a church elder in Laramie named Todd Schmidt. He was doing his work back when I was a student there and has been even for much longer than that. Uh, so Todd Schmidt, for many years, he has gone out on the campus of the University of Wyoming, and what he does is he sets up a table, a booth, in fact, here's a picture of it, in the student union at the University of Wyoming, and you see he's got a sign there, and every day, not always every day, but he'll go out there and change what it says. Uh, Well, one of the days he put on his sign, I believe it was, God created man, male, and female, and Artemis Langford is a male, and, uh, The university banned him from campus for a year for doing this. Um, They took away his tabling privileges. He actually challenged in court and won a preliminary injunction against the university and has been allowed to return to the university. But basically, so here's a Christian evangelist. And I know Todd. I've talked to him. He's a solid guy. He preaches the gospel. He's not mean. He's not uh cruel he's not any of the things that he's now being accused in the press and such of being you know he's a faithful christian who goes and speaks the truth of god's word on this campus and got banned for simply recognizing that a trans student identifying as a woman was not actually a woman and again this is in wyoming and it is the university but it's the only university the state has it's where a lot of the workers for a lot of its industries and schools and healthcare and all have to go through because it's the only game in town. So, um, yeah, these are just some very troubling developments out of my home state. Um, and I think as Christians, uh, you know, just to kind of put a bow on this, um, we can put a lot of stock in the places that we live and we can even make moves to places because of what we believe the values of a place will be. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, I live in South Dakota and I like living in South Dakota and and more of you should join us here. Um,
1: Or Northwest Iowa.
2: Or that. Um, But that just because you live in a place like that doesn't mean that you're safe from these ideologies. It doesn't mean that your kids are safe from these ideologies all of us wherever we live and whatever we're doing we need to be uh, wise as serpents and innocent as doves and we need to be faithful we need to recognize that just because we live in a place where we think we have the support of the society around us we may still meet resistance and we may still be called to difficult faithfulness uh in these situations you know like i said someone like todd schmidt who for decades now, I've been going out on the campus at Laramie just to, to share the gospel with students, and now he's, he's in the crossfires of a, of a big controversy and having to go to court and stuff because of it. Um, again, in Wyoming, deepest red of deep red states. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well...
2: Don't you all feel encouraged and uplifted?
1: (laughs) Positive. Encouraging. Ofad. Yeah. (laughs) Not Caleb. But
2: Caleb.
1: Yeah, we don't have... This isn't Caleb, but we have Caleb. So, you know, there's a... Yeah, a number... Actually, a a couple couple passages that had been coming to mind uh, uh, actually as we started, and I was writing them down at the beginning... Um, you know, so a couple, just a couple of brief uh, encouragements here uh, as well. you know, um, first of all, you know, Ephesians 5: says that uh, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So this is this is uh, part of this comes with being aware of, again, what is actually occurring in your area, in your town. It all it takes is one individual, uh, popping up, or even a few individuals popping up, uh, a, a trans, a liberal, whatever, uh, starting to sow dissent, points to it. you know. It is uh, the, the, These individuals don't have to be hated. They don't have to be ostracized exactly, but they need the gospel. They need to be witnessed to, that they might enter mm-hmm. into light. They, they have to understand that everyone who does wicked things hate the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed uh, what this means for us is that we have to, though, let our love be genuine. Um, in th- That's one of the starting basis of, of evangelism uh, and really of any interactions. Love must be genuine. Order, in order for love to be genuine, we must, first of all, love God, love his word, love his law, love his ways, love him. And that when we have that basis of love, our interactions with others, even if they are, they, 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 they think uh politically ideo- ideologically in a uh perverse uh, wicked ways we might sincerely have concerns for their souls mm-hmm. that we would uh enough that we would say something to them enough yeah. that we would say something to the towns but it's I, uh yeah it I, I it, it, go ahead go ahead yeah
2: i actually uh, in light of some of these recent developments at the university of wyoming as a an alum i I wrote a letter to the president of the university and I don't know, should I read it or should, I'll yeah, just...
1: I, w- I wasn't sure. I actually went into this because I, I wasn't sure if you were going to or not. Okay. Um, maybe greatest hits at least or something. Um, and
2: then, uh... i tell you what I'll do. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll put it up on the website. Maybe as like a separate article. Um, but mm-hmm. essentially yeah. yeah, I wrote a letter saying, uh, Wrote wrote a letter to Ed Seidel, the president of the university, expressing my concerns about these two cases I described. The uh, ban of Todd Schmidt from campus and then the sorority uh, allowing a trans uh, man to live in the the sorority house. This is a a safety issue. This is a, a major problem. Um, but I approached the subject as a Christian minister. You know, I am a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And so what? in my letter, I, I expressed my concerns on these issues. But I also was very clear to, um, from Scripture, establish God's authority over these matters, but also to teach the gospel. I don't know Ed Seidel. He wasn't around when I was there. I don't know where he's at. Um, but essentially him or whoever reads this, because who knows if he'll ever actually see it. Um, I don't know how the mail gets routed. Um, but basically establishing from scripture why these are problems, why these things are wrongs, why they are violations of the law of God, but also recognizing uh, the need for the gospel, recognizing the duty of all public officials to, um, Submit their offices to Christ's rule. So I quoted some from Psalm two, and then also presented the gospel, uh, presented the reality of the judgment of God under under which uh, all mankind is under, and the need to repent and be reconciled to God. I'll go ahead and post the whole letter on our site, um, so if people want to read it. They're interested. If they're interested, maybe give them ideas as to maybe yeah. you need to write some letters. Maybe. There's things you could do, uh, ways you can reach out to institutions, organizations, individuals uh, where we're starting to see these kinds of problems, even in the areas we would not expect.
1: Yeah, perhaps, uh, I'm not not making any promises, but perhaps uh, something of a template could be set out or something as well, or just note note a couple of things that, uh, you know, uh, that should go into these kind of letters. Um, well, yeah, otherwise, you know, uh, I think that's, uh, this is the matter that we really always have to remember that, uh, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, it is sincerely, uh, those, the cosmic powers of the present darkness that we are warring against and that ultimately we're not the ones charging in, in these wars. We're not the ones on the front line, but it is, uh, the Holy Spirit it is, uh, it is our warrior king, Christ, that really goes ahead. Uh, and he himself has already been victorious. He sends the spirit on ahead of us. We follow in his wake. Um, and, you know, this, this doesn't mean that we should be inactive, that we should sit around as, uh, that we should be sitting around uh, as, as spectators. You know, we are, we are not asked uh, to be taken out of the world. You know, uh, we are to be kept from the evil one. We're to be preserved by the Lord and continue to witness according to what uh, the conscience enlightened, uh, enlightened and illuminated by the Spirit compels us to do. Um, but you know, overall, uh, you you remember remember what our show is called. Remember why it is called that. You know, again, uh, we we have to we have to plug it at least once an episode, right? At this point, it's it's. It's it's simply that we you know we have to continually contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You know this this is a, a faith of for the one in all time, the one solid truth and foundation of the word of God, of what He calls us to do, of how to obey Him, how to uh, it, that is in love, and how to walk in His ways, and how mm-hmm. to be a light, a uh, salt upon this earth
2: yeah and we can't just take for granted that because of where we live the kind of culture the kind of politics of the place in which we live that that's being done or that we don't need to do all of us as our Christians it's our call to do this uh, in whatever spheres of influence we have
1: mm-hmm. well I think I think we've about hit it uh, I think uh, that's about everything that I have to say on it Andrew any other any other closing thoughts?
2: Nope. I think we've pretty well covered it. As always, if you have questions, comments, complaints, reach out to us at all the usual ways. Social media at OFAD Podcast. Email uh, OFAD Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you've learned something. We hope this isn't too depressing. And we'll talk to you next time.
1: We will. Whenever
0: that is. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our Substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.